0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Spirit in this place, man, oh man, I'm so glad to be here. I'm always glad to be in the house of God. I can't think of a better place to be than to be here with you Hatchbendonites. Hallelujah. Now, I just found out that they pay the ministers by the hour. <laughs> so you understand. <laughs> Amen. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, verses or chapter 6. I want to thank Brother Boyd for allowing me to, the privilege to speak behind this pulpit and. Trusting me with that, um, I'm so thankful for them. I'm thankful for my, for my wife. that's always there. She's my biggest fan. One of my biggest fans. She's running neck and neck with my mom now. <laughs> Amen. But she's there. She'll tell me. She'll keep me in line. She'll tell me the truth. My my wife will out anyway. <laughs> my mom told me I could sing, so I'm not sure. You know, she led me right out there, and I tried it. (laughs) Brother Wayne, the chief, and he didn't, he always congratulating me. He never said anything about that. (laughs) So I left that alone. Amen. Thankful for my family that came. Thank them so much that they always supported. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Amen. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, one Lord. If You'll put your Bibles down and pray with me, Lord. Hallelujah. I need you, God. I need you to direct me, Lord. I can't do this without you, Lord. Oh, I need your hand, God. Let this message flow through this congregation tonight, Lord. Let the presence of the Holy Ghost linger in here tonight, God. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, we love you, God. And we give you all the glory. Hallelujah. Thank you. Praise God. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. My title tonight is simply the oneness of God, the oneness of God. Exodus 20 and 3 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I, Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, I, even I am he, and there is no God with me. Amen. I, I know I'm preaching to some oneness believers tonight, but not just oneness believers. Apostolic Jesus' name, oneness believers. There's a lot of people out there believing one God, but there's only a few of us that know who that one God is. Amen. Praise God. The Bible says there's only one God, and this doctrine is central to the Bible message. The Old and New Testament both emphatically teach the oneness of God. But despite the simplicity and the clarity of this message, however, there are many who believe in God, but do not have the oneness revelation as we do. Even within the Christian dome, many people, including theologians, they just can't seem to comprehend it. In the 2nd and 3rd centuries, most uh, Christians still affirmed the oneness of God. But in the old Catholic age from around A.D. 170 to 325, Christian Christendom began to shift from the biblical belief in one God towards a form of Trinitarianism. And the Trinitarians in that age divided the personality of God. And by 300, some form of Trinitarian baptism had become dominant in Christendom. But the Trinity doctrine as we know today had yet to be formulated and established. There were two different councils that would take place to form this process. The first was the Council of Nicaea In A.D. 325, and about 300 priests with their constituents come to about 2,000 that was in this first council. And the next was the Council of Constantine in A.D. 381. The Council of Nicaea is of immense historical significance because it was the first council of post-apostolic Christendom the first but not the final official step in the formulation of the Orthodox Trinitarianism and the prime development in the merger of church and state. The Roman emperor pronounced the decrees of the council to be divinely inspired and made them law of the empire and disobedience was punishable by death. For the first time in a political ruler, a political ruler convened an ecclesiastical council and this became a decisive factor in determining doctrine and instituted a church creed. For the first time, Christendom adopted a written creed other than Christian or other than scripture, excuse me, and made it and made subscription to it mandatory. And for the first time, the state inflicted civil penalties on people who did not conform to church dogma. The Bible teaches there is but one God. And this command is first found in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hallelujah. There's only one God. I don't care what others say. I don't care what some council says. There's only one God. The Bible, or this verse of Scripture, has become the most distinctive statement of the Jews. They call it the Shema. God commands that these verses of Scripture to be placed in the heart and taught to their children throughout the day, bound on their foreheads and written on the post and the gates of houses. There is only one God who is the Creator and Father of all humanity. There is one indivisible God with no distinction of persons. And Jesus Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All titles of the deity can be found in Him. And all aspects of the divine personality are manifest in Him. Simply put, God is absolutely and indivisibly one. Any plurality associated with God is only a plurality of attributes, titles, modes, or roles. If Trinity is an essential part of God's nature, He didn't reveal it in Scripture. It's just simply not there. The use of different names does not denote a plurality of person, but is only a way to express His greatness and His majesty. God could not make it any plainer than that there's no plurality exist in the Godhead. The New Testament teaches there is but one God. Jesus made this command, huh, didn't He? That this was the first of all commandments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, Him being the chief cornerstone. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. There is one throne in heaven and one sits upon it. Hallelujah. Abraham was willing to forsake his father's pagan gods and leave to worship the one true God. Melchizedek told him it was the most, he was the most high God. Hallelujah. All believers, we, as believers, we must never cease to declare the oneness nature of God because He is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Hallelujah. From Genesis 1 and 2, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters to Revelation 22, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Hallelujah. Hebrews says that God is the Father of spirits. God is invisible, and since he's invisible, we can't see him. He told Moses, they can't see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. He said, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and let my glory pass before you. Unless God chooses to manifest himself in a form visible to us, we can't see him. Why? He, he, he's just not there. He's a spirit. He's there, but you can't see him unless he manifests himself in a form. Hallelujah. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere present because he is a spirit. He's everywhere at the same time. You can't contain him and you can't restrain him. He's a universal God who is not subject to one location. He's not a tribal God. He's an omnipresent God. We can't equate him with nature and substance. Solomon recognized Recognized his omnipresence nature at the dedication of the temple and said, Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens can't contain thee. Thy heaven is thy throne and the earth is thy footstool. Praise God. Aren't you thankful that you know who the one God is? Hallelujah. One way. God revealed himself in the Old Testament was through the use of symphonies. A symphony is a visible manifestation of God and we think of it as temporary in nature. God appeared to Abraham in a vision and as a smoking furnace, a burning lamp, and as a man. In this last instant, God along with two other angels appeared to him in the form of men. You know the story, the two angels went ahead into Sodom to bring Lot out while while Abraham stayed with God and pleaded with him over the lives of Sodom. God also appeared to Jacob in a dream as a man when Jacob wrestled with the man and proclaimed, I have seen God face to face. God appeared to Moses in a cloud of glory and in a fire on Mount Sinai. He spoke with him face to face and revealed his back parts to him. God manifested himself in the sight of all Israel through thunder, lightnings, a cloud, a voice of a trumpet, smoke, fire and even earthquakes he showed his glory and sent fire from his presence in the sight of Israel Job saw God in a whirlwind Ezekiel he appeared in a form of man enveloped in fire to Daniel he appeared in a night vision as the ancient of days he revealed himself to 70 elders of Israel and came down in a pillar of cloud and stood stood in front of Moses Aaron and Miriam came at night to Balaam and had met him on two Two other occasions, he appeared to Joshua as a man with a sword and identified himself as captain of the host of the Lord. The fact that he didn't rebuke Joshua for worshiping him suggests it was God. Praise God. He can do all things. Never doubt what God can do. He's God. Hallelujah. He stretched forth the heavens alone and he, he separated light from darkness. God didn't have no help. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me, there is no Savior. There is no God form. I am by myself. Praise God. Some, some of the symphonies uh, or just an angel of the Lord and not God himself. The easiest explanation is that the phrase the angel of the Lord sometimes refers to a symphony of God, but other times nothing more than an angel. We had the fourth man in the fire with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. The king said, Lo, I see four men loose and the fourth is like the Son of God. This king was, was using what you might call heathen terminology because he wouldn't have any knowledge of the future Son of God. This day have I begotten thee. Amen. What Nebuchadnezzar saw was only a temporary epiphany of God. God has the ability to be anywhere, at any time, all at once. He's the creator of heaven and earth who's not limited nor confined by location. One final note on symphonies. In the New Testament, records no symphonies of God outside of Jesus Christ. That alone speaks volumes. Hallelujah. There's no symphonies of God in the New Testament outside of Jesus Christ. And he was not just God appeared in the form of man, but was God clothed in flesh. He was all man and all God. When he prayed in the garden, he was all man. When he wept over Lazarus, he was all man. When he told Lazarus to get up and come out of that grave, he was all God. When he healed the sick and cast out devils, he was all God. Hallelujah. And his name is Jesus. We cast out devils in that name. We speak in tongues in that name. We we pray for the sick in that name. We pray down strongholds in that name. We baptize in that name. We worship in that name. We call down fire from heaven in that name. The New Testament church is identified by that name and neither is our salvation in any other name. It's the name of Jesus, hallelujah, and he is God. Signs and wonders are done in that name. Matthew said, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, who's he? He's God, hallelujah, who's God? Jesus, praise God, he's God. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Hallelujah, Jesus declares and reveals the Father and is the express image of the invisible God, the brightness of his glory and the image of his person, holding all things by the word of his power. Hallelujah, when he by himself purged our sins, and sat down at the right hand of God. God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. The only limitations God has is the ones he places on himself. God is eternal. He's immortal. He's everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Hallelujah. He's the first and the last. He has no beginning and will have no ending. Praise God. He's an unchanging God. He said I am the Lord I change not. Isaiah said he's a rod at the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. Hallelujah, he's slow to anger. His holiness demands separation from sin and his justice demands death for sinners. He's a transcendent God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts your thoughts. Amen. What a God. You came out thinking. You came out loving. Hallelujah, you can't outdo him. Right. Praise God, aren't you glad you serve him? Yes. Amen. Better than that, aren't you glad you know who he is? Amen. One commentary says this to point out the significance of the name of God. To know the name of God is to witness the manifestation of those attributes and apprehend that character which the name denotes. To the ancients, the name is part of the person and the personality of the individual. God placed great significance on names. He changed the name of Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of many. After Jacob wrestled with God, he changed his name from Heel catcher to Israel, contender with God. Simon meant herd and became Peter, which means rock. Throughout the Old Testament, God progressively reveals more about himself to us. In Exodus 6 and 3, it says, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. God used names to manifest his character and his presence. And since God fills all space, Solomon asked, Can this temple contain him? God said, My name shall be there, but I can't be confined there, but my spirit can dwell there. God's name represents His power, His presence his authority his his grace his mercy his goodness and his greatness when Abraham needed a lamb for a sacrifice he had a ram in the thicket and revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh the Lord provides when Israel needed victory over their enemies he was Jehovah Nisi the Lord our banner and when the fullness of time came God satisfies the longing of his people and he reveals himself by the name of Jesus and he shall bring. Bring forth a son, and they shall call his name. Jesus, hallelujah, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made, the word being the thought, the mind of God he spoke it, he seen it he knew before he created Adam that man would fall, he knew that he would have to robe himself in flesh and go up Calvary's So that's the word, that's the thought, that's the plan of God right there. And that's what John was talking about. And the word, hallelujah, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Hallelujah. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. For in him... For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hallelujah! Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. He said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I saw seven golden candlesticks and one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot and girt about the pats with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were like wool, As white as snow, and his eyes were as flames of fire. He said, I am the first and I am the last. I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Hallelujah. And had this is what this is the promise here. He said, He has keys to death, hell, and the grave. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Hallelujah, he asked his disciples, said, but whom do you say that I am? Peter was always one to jump ahead and talk, but this time he had it right. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, That's right, and thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. He was talking about the revelation of the one true God, that he was God. Praise God. What a God. I'm so thankful that I have the revelation of who he is. So many don't, they miss it. You have theologians and, 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 and other doctors or whatever you want to call them that they analyze the Bible and they still, they just can't see it. The early 16th century was the crossroads where the medieval world, the Renaissance, the Inquisition, the New World, and the modern world would meet, the Holy Emperor was a superpower of its time, stretching forth from, the, from Spain to the Balkans, from the Mediterranean to the Baltic Sea. The reformers would begin to break away from an old Catholic from the old Catholic traditions but they still held to the Trinity and would charge you as a heretic if you disagreed. There was a man named, maybe some of you know him, Johan Guttenberg, who invented a process by which a book could be printed. Oh, boy. Things are going to get out of hand for him now. Somebody found a way to invent a printer. And in November 1455, the completed Gutenberg Bible made its first appearance. Tens of thousands of books were printed toward the end of the 15th century. And a man named Michael Savitas was born September 29, 1511. This man grew up in Spain, and by the time he was 13 years old, in addition to his own language, he could speak five languages, including Hebrew and Arabic. And in most Christian Europe, Hebrew was a forbidden language. Servetus became a, a oneness believer. We wouldn't call him, We uh, wouldn't be one of us, but he, he, he understood that there was, there, was, there was only one God. And he understood that Jesus was that God. And during this same time, there was another man by the name of John Calvin. And they would be around the same age. And Calvin was a reformer who was a a, a devout Trinitarian. And and, and both of them had broke away from from the Catholic religion. And they were both very educated and very wise. And Religion was still the law. And, and, And any heresy was punishable by death. And even Calvin himself... Had to run from the Catholic Church. He had a warrant from his, for his arrest as well. Servetus would live in another country under another name for many years, and he would write under that name in different writings he would write, he would write his real name in there, no one the wiser, but history would understand that he was the one that wrote this or wrote that. Servetus wrote a book called "The Restoration of Christianity." It ran almost 800 pages and took six years to write. And in 1552, it was published. This was a slap to Calvin and the rest of them. And he would, Calvin would start the process to have him arrested. Savitas so wrote this. He said, The whole apostolic church is summoned to the threshold. Once again, there is restored knowledge of God, of the faith of Christ our justification of the regeneration of baptism and participation in the Lord's Supper. With the heavenly kingdom restored to us, the wicked captivity of Babylon has ended and the Antichrist with his host destroyed. Isaiah 62 and 6 says, I have set watchmen upon my walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye not... Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Now, I know maybe some of you are wondering why we're even talking about this. This is not Bible. I'm here to tell you tonight, this is history. And men like him are the reason that we have a Bible. He's the reason that we even have religion over here. Amen. It's in the history. Calvin would prosecute Servetus for heresy. Michael Servetus was found guilty and was sentenced to be bound to a stake and burned with the pages of his book attached to him. Servetus was seated and an iron chain was wrapped around his body with thick rope the crown of straw and leaves and sulfur was placed on his head. It took a half hour for him to die and as he moaned he had these words to say. Oh, Jesus, Son of the eternal God, have pity on me. He had remained true to his belief in all that pain. Otherwise, he would have said, Oh, Jesus, eternal Son of God. See, he understood who Jesus was. All the important religious, political, and military figures were there and watched in horror as he was burned to death. All but one. John Calvin stayed home. I'm closing. The musicians can come, but stay focused. It's a little lengthy close. John Calvin ordered that all Servetus' books be burned. Servetus's books would be lost to the world, or so it would seem. And in his career... Uh, in the medical field he had studied the pulmonary circulation of the blood flow hallelujah Servetus had correctly written that the blood traveled from the right and went through the body the lungs I didn't write all that down and to the left they had it wrong before you see he knew and understood that the blood comes from the right side (laughs) because that's where the power comes from. Jesus sits on the right hand of the throne of God, and we know that the right hand is the power. He understood that the blood, even in the body, Brother Wayne, the oneness of God is in your body. The blood will flow from the right and to the left through the body. Hallelujah. He had this. He understood this. But now... How could we know this? Because Calvin supposedly had burned all his books. The courts would use any evidence they could against heretics such as Savitas so they would they would brought his books in there to use his evidence to prosecute him. Jermaine Culloden, he was one of the prosecutors. He kept a manuscript and that he wrote about the blood. Come to find later that also, uh, Calvin had kept a copy. They ended up being three copies, and they made it to the libraries. Aren't you thankful? <laughs> Hallelujah. You can stand. Of the book's value of significance, uh, some European guy found it, and he didn't understand the value of the significance of this, of this book. His name was Gottfried Wilhelm. In 1706, he noticed the book while browsing the library. This man was well aware of the death of Servetus and recognized it immediately. He later read through the book and understood that it was Servetus and not Harvey who discovered the pulmonary circulation. Michael Servetus understood that the blood must pass through the right side. He understood it was the blood that flows from Calvary. Hallelujah. It flows to you and I. It's the blood that breaks strongholds. It's the blood that breaks addiction. It's the blood that saves man. Hallelujah. And he understood that it was the blood of Christ Praise God that flowed and saved an old wretch like you and I. It's the blood. Hallelujah. You have to understand where the blood comes from and who it is. And it's Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Aren't you thankful? Huh? For the blood? It flows from Calvary. From, you, can, you can gather around if you like. there were some onlookers there that day I can't remember the name of them what they called themselves they watched as Michael Savitas was burned and they continued uh, believing what they believed they kind of took on his beliefs they're not oneness believers like we are but they made their way to the states one of the guys that, that got a hold of this book and I can't. I forgive me for forgetting his name He got in the ear of Thomas Jefferson. This is very important for Americans. He got in the ear of Thomas Jefferson and he told him all about what happened to Michael Savitas and the way John Calvin and the Reformers burned him. Thomas Jefferson never really adapted to the Christian life. He he believed... uh, God was a uh, universe God. If you'd moved him from there, he wouldn't be there anymore. So he didn't believe what we believe or what Christians believe. But he did say that, Thomas Jefferson did say that John Calvin and his followers were the worst or the most evil people that ever walked or ever lived. And it was Thomas Jefferson that helped give us our religious freedom act because of that because of men that understood what happened over there hallelujah These, this group of people I'm talking to they preached to George Washington they preached to John Quincy Adams that's why history matters that's why history matters you say well oh, we, just, we just read the word and that'll get us to church or heaven at will that's true but it helps to understand where our freedoms come from, especially our religious freedoms. People died. Hallelujah. Were burned to death. All they had to do was confess that they were wrong. They would have let them go. That's all they wanted. But they said, no, there's only one God. And his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we worship that one true God right now?